sometimes scary things happen. I was looking around the room, and I thought there were two Mike Eilerts. <laughs> and those of you up front here, just turn around and look and tell me, why would I think that? Hey, now wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, welcome, John and Amanda. Good to have you here. You traveled, you're going to get the prize for traveling the furthest for Sunday school this morning. Good, good to have you. Uh, good to see everyone. Everybody ready for the holidays? Not a single yes. Not, I just heard a little grunt and a laugh. So... Uh, that's probably about the way it is, too, isn't it? <clears throat> a grunt and a laugh. Well, thank you for uh, being here today. We're going to uh, finish uh, Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word. So we're in, in chapter 8, if you're following along there. Uh, last chapter is entitled, Stick with the Scriptures. Uh, as I went through it, I, I thought, you know, there's, there's not anything in this chapter that's going to be particularly new to at least most people that attend this class, and then I thought, well, that's the whole purpose. He's saying stick with it, so we already know what we should do, so that's the encouragement of, of uh, sticking with it. So um, I hope you've found that the, this, we've been doing this study intermittently. This, this, we've thrown in a chapter here and there, here and there as we've done other things, um, and I hope you found that all beneficial, and, and today we can kind of wrap, wrap it up, uh, focusing on God's Word. Um, so let's, uh, let's start with prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time that you've given us uh, uh, this morning. Father, we, we do uh, love your Word, and uh, pray that through this time here, you'll uh, teach us to love it even more, and to... Uh, trust it even more. Uh, guide our guide our words, guide our thoughts. Uh, may we do things pleasing and say things pleasing in your sight. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, over the years, uh, we've at various times and various settings discussed <clears throat> the idea of the doctrine of Scripture. Um, and I think that rather than go back, that's really what this book is kind of a, is about, the different chapters of the doctrine of Scripture. But rather than try to go back through the book and you hear again, I'll come approach it a little bit different way. So we've, we've studied that doctrine several times, and, and often when it comes up, uh, I, I hear Baker over in the corner say, snap. When he, snap, okay. So I've, I've learned to say, Baker's got some kind of, a little bit different ways of remembering things, but what I have learned is that Baker's got a lot of things he remembers, and this is one of them. So, I'm going to test him. SNAP is an acronym for the doctrine of Scripture. And, boy, I hope you pass. I have notes here in case you fumble, but I don't think you will. Uh, how many have heard Art say this before? Okay, Bobby for sure. Okay, SNAP, what is S? The scriptures are sufficient. It's a sufficiency of scripture. That means that we it contains everything we need to know about salvation and godly living. The scriptures are sufficient to tell us that. In. Whoa. Got a guy back, way back in the corner we hear necessary. That's right. So it's necessary for what? We know about general revelation. God shows himself through other things, creation and things. Can that show us salvation? Can't. We can't learn about the things we really need to know about through general revelation. It guides us in the right direction, but we need the scriptures to tell us who Christ is and how we're saved and how to live. A, Art says, authoritative. authoritative, that's right. Scriptures, that's the last word. It's not how we feel or science or 
even our experience. Sometimes we want to lean on experience first, and that's not that's not authoritative. It's not even church councils or other other things that have been written. Scriptures are authoritative. And my favorite one, which I happen to teach on this back in chapter four, P. <laughs> oh, they went silent, but Art Art got it. Perspicuous. So what does that mean? Clear. Clear. It's the clarity of Scripture. So the saving message of Christ is plainly taught that anyone can understand it. So now we're going to refer to SNAP a little bit later here. So that's kind of a broad overview. Really, that's what DeYoung has discussed in the book these various things in different ways. So we're going to refer to it as SNAP. <clears throat> so our, our topic for today is sticking with the Scriptures. So our, our primary passage is Second Timothy, if you want to turn here. Second uh, Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. I'll give you a second to turn there. Very, very important passage concerning what the Bible has to say about itself. <clears throat> Second Timothy three fourteen, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred script, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. De Young points out at the first part of this chapter that you probably would expect a book on the Scripture just to start there and, and then work your way through it. He, he came at it another way. Um, uh, this is probably the most famous verse uh, in, in, the, in the scriptures uh, of the Bible speaking of itself in that all scripture breathed out by God. Um, everything in the Bible comes from the mouth of God. Everything comes from the mouth of God. Snap must be true if verse 16 is true. Sufficient necessary, authoritative, and perspicuous. And conversely, snap must be false if verse 16 is false. And we know that verse 16 is not false. Uh, you may recall that rather than start with this, this verse, he began the book with Psalm 119, looking at what Psalm 119, how many references there were to the, the uh, uh, Word of God. He says he arranged it this way, uh, uh, so, so that we could see first how a variety of other passages in Scripture, beginning with Psalm 119, but working its way through, uh, point to the same thing as we're seeing here. So he's, he's pointing us, and then he gets to the, uses the climax, the verse, if you will, uh, at the end. <clears throat> the second reason that he chose to put it there is the emphasis on continue. Uh, He's, he's telling Timothy, don't forget, uh, don't lose sight of who you are, uh, stay on track, and keep going in God's Word. So, I think appropriately, the Young's arranged things this way, and it points us to where we need to go. Um, so, let's look a little bit more carefully at these, these verses. Um, you, you might note that Paul is actually... Um, uh, communicating a bit of a contrast here. So the, the contrast we'll find in the verses immediately preceding. So if you just look up a little bit, we'll start at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet for... From them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
And that Paul is calling to mind here the opposition that he had. Uh, evil people and imposters caused him uh, a lot of trouble. And, you know, Acts is just full of, of descriptions of how much trouble he had. They, they used deception. Uh, they used pressure, even beatings, uh, false accusations, all, all to promote a false cause. And it caused Paul a lot of grief. So contrasting what those people did, searching other things and causing Paul grief, he's telling Timothy, stay on track. Remember the scriptures. Remember what you've been taught and stay on track. So stick with the scriptures. <clears throat> so that's where, where he's headed here. Um, what DeYoung does in the chapter, there's really four, four areas, that four angles at which he looks at sticking with the scriptures. Uh, first, he says, consider your history. Next, consider scripture's ability. Third, consider scripture's originality. And fourth, scripture's practicality. So we'll go through all four of those, and uh, uh, hopefully... I, th I think we'll make it through all of them. So let's, let's first consider the history. Everyone's history is, is a bit different. Um, in, in this case, Paul points out to Timothy that he was trained from childhood. And who was he trained from childhood specifically? Not mentioned in, in these verses exactly, but you remember in, who taught him? His mother and his grandmother uh, specifically uh, trained him. Uh, DeYoung in the book references a time that he was at a conference with John Piper. And Piper was asked, why did you conclude inerrancy of Scripture is true? Piper's answer was, my mama told me. And uh, DeYoung points out that wasn't just a passing comment. He, he meant that. His mother taught him that that's the truth about the scriptures. Um, I uh, you know, just want to point out that it, sometimes we think it's a sign of growth when things change. So it's not a sign of growth when we move away, if one moves away from what they're taught necessarily, if they're taught early in life. It's, uh, it's good if you're taught correctly to stay with it and to stay with what you've been taught. I know that everyone in this room would probably claim a, a, a different experience in some ways compared to Piper's or Timothy's with his mother and grandmother. I, I can say that, however, for me, significantly accurate to say that it was true. My mother taught me about the scriptures and, and that they were correct. Now, we've had a lot of fights and a lot of disagreements about this or that, but she taught me that the Bible is true and uh, so I was wondering how many others in this room would say, either your, your mother, your father, your grandparents would say early in life, they're the significant ones that teach you about the scriptures. Ooh, yeah, a bunch, that's good. Um, how about, let's think about other things. Let's move, move on a little bit. As you go on in life, we're thinking about our history. So... I think for myself, as I moved through different times as a, a teen and into college, into uh, being a single man, into early church, uh, times in this church even, I can think of specific people. Now, there's a bunch of people influenced me all the way, but I can, I can single out in all, in all those areas a, time, a person that really made a difference. So I'm just going to pause a second and let you think about that. And I do feel sorry for you people that are only in your teens because it's going to get richer uh, uh, for you as time goes along. Uh, but as, as you get a little mileage, there's more areas of life that we can look back on and see people there. So think on that. Uh, you go home today, think, think on who, who has affected uh, you. The road continues as we are influenced by others and we influence others. It continues day by day. So let's move on. That's the, just thinking about the history that, that Timothy had 
Let's look at uh, Scripture's ability. The Word of God, uh, does anybody want to share anything related to history? Zero. Okay, Scripture's ability. Uh, the Word of God is able to is able and has done many things. You think about when God's Word, God, God speaks. And so what all did God speak and it happens? Think of those times. What, what's first? Okay, spoke the world into existence. Fairly powerful. Fairly powerful, the Word of God. Spoke the world into existence. Other times where He speaks. Old Testament. There's a bunch of them. Speaks to Moses. Spoke, spoke the word of God to Moses. The law given to Moses, he spoke the word. Uh, also wrote the word uh, at that time as well. Abraham. Abraham. Spoke, spoke to Abraham. So uh, you just move on in, into Jesus' life. Jesus spoke to Lazarus, and Lazarus came forth. So the word of the triune God is powerful, and it has great ability. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us, as we know, it doesn't tell us everything. May we, we may want to know about everything, but it does uh, tell us everything we need to know uh, about the most important things that there are. The Bible makes us wise enough to put our faith in Jesus Christ as DeYoung says, nothing else in the world has that ability, only the Word of God. There's a significant amount, I, I was just looking at other sources on this, and, and I happen to have a John MacArthur's a book on biblical doctrine, and uh, he has a significant amount of information on the doctrine of Scripture in that book, and so if you're interested in that, that's one place to, to look at if you want to dig deeper into the doctrine of Scripture. Uh, I'll reference MacArthur a few times later this morning, uh, but he says in that, the written Word of God is unique, and that is the only revelation of God that clearly declares man's sinfulness and God's provision of the Savior. We won't find that anywhere else but in the Scriptures. Only the Word of God can save. Through it we have God's self-disclosure, good news of forgiveness, and we are led to believe in Jesus through the Scriptures. And DeYoung encourages us in the chapter to keep on going in the Word. Okay, any, any comments on or, or questions on Scripture's ability? Have you found at times of trial? What, is, what does Scripture do for us? It's encouraging. And I think I heard assuring. Yeah. It's assuring, encouraging, comforting. Yeah, when it, yeah, and, and often what may be going on, we didn't see it all, but Scripture opens that door, opens that window to us. It, it has the ability to do all those things. Anything else? Gives us joy. We know the end of the story. Uh, it gives us peace, same reason. We know all the end of the story. It has a, a lot of different abilities of Scripture, and all of life's moments be brought back to Scripture, and it, it informs us, it guides us, and directs us. The ability of Scripture is tremendous because, well, we'll get into it a little bit later. You can't, hardly, you can't separate the written Word from the Word, Jesus. And we'll talk about that more later. Anything else you want to bring up there? Okay, next we'll move into uh, Scripture's originality. Now here, originality is speaking of the origin of Scripture. Uh, that is in the, in the verse today, 
quote, breathed out by God. <clears throat> this is usually referred to as inspiration. Uh, so let's, let's dig a little deeper into what is meant by inspiration of Scripture. The uh, young quotes B.B. Warfield. The biblical writers do not conceive of the Scriptures as a human product breathed into by the divine, divine Spirit and thus heightened in qualities or endowed with new qualities, but as a divine product produced through the instrumentality of men. Again, a divine product produced through the instru instrumentality of men. So you think about inspiration is a bit of a high topic in the sense of how, how that happened. And, and it, can, it can be and is a little bit confusing a bit. So I thought maybe look at some different theories of, of inspiration. I'm following MacArthur here in the, in the doctrine of, uh, biblical doctrine book. Um, so he, he lists some different theories that there are and points to some of the flaws in the way it's looked at. So one theory of inspiration is the dictation theory. Uh, this view suggests that God gave human authors of the Bible the precise words to write, uh, the process simply involving them penning words. They're hearing words, penning words. Um, the problem with this view, one would expect that you would see only one style, uh, a consistent vocabulary throughout the, throughout the Scripture, which is just not true, various styles and, and uh, genre within Scripture, and thus it would be void of individuality. So if they were just hearing, transcribing, that, that's a problem. Um, the, the question remains, how could the Bible be the words of men like Peter and Paul and at the same time be God's words as well? And we're going to get to that in a second, uh, using their personalities and so forth. That's one way. That's one theory, and MacArthur wasn't real big on that, and I can see why. That, that's the dictation theory. The next one he brought up is a partial or conceptual theory of in, inspiration. This, this idea says that God did not give the writers the exact words, but rather gave them general ideas or impressions, and they put these down in their own words. That one has a little bit of a problem in that this, this view denies the idea that the very words of the Scripture are inspired. So, you know, we believe the very words were inspired, and so we have a little problem there. Um, the proponents of this view actually use this view to, say, to explain why there are so many errors in the Bible. So rather than dealing with what appears to be an error, they just say, well, that's why there's so many errors, because the words aren't all inspired. Uh, uh, so the view, this view would hold that inspiration applies not to the words, but to the doctrine. So, all right, this next one you'll really like, the natural theory of inspiration. Uh, this view holds that the authors found inspiration for their writings of Scripture, not from God, but from within themselves. Uh, much like a gifted artist or a composer, from within themselves, it just flowed forth. Um, obviously, this, this view de denies divine authorship. So, what do we believe? What do you believe about the Scripture? So, I'll ask, ask you. Do you have a short phrase that says what you believe is the doctrine of Scripture? I can see Tom's almost ready to jump on me. So, <laughs> What would you say, Tom? Well, okay. Wow, that's, that's good. You brought up a lot of different things there about the, the, how inspiration might take place. Any other thoughts come to mind? Well, he was on the cross. Okay. He, oh, and this. Okay, yeah, the commandment's given to Moses, so so portion of it's actually written by God. Out, yeah, okay. The words? Is it just ideas or, or is it actual words? Okay. 
So we believe it's the, the words. We believe the words are part of it. So it's <clears throat> it's the words I'm going to use here, and I think I think we would agree with this is the verbal plenary inspiration. Does that sound familiar? Some more the, theologically minded. It's verbal. It is words. It's not impressions. It's it's the words of God. Now now. Tom brought up something real important. God also raised up these people that were doing the writing and influenced their personalities, made them who they are, made them speak as they speak, and at the same time, as he used them, he gave them the impression or the inspiration of the words to write. And so we see through that the personality, the language, all the things come out. But God, God started before they started writing, okay? They were being prepared, the Peter, the Paul, all those were being prepared for the time when, when they would write and, and God inspired them and they wrote the word. So it's, it's a verbal. Now, what's the word? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. It's... It's interesting how you put that, they, that it was probably written, the third letter to Corinthians was probably written for whatever reason. Um, God, didn't choose, God, God didn't lead people to include that in, in the canon. And uh, that's that called canonicity? I think that's the word. Um, and and that's, that's a very important point. What, what does the word plenary mean? Okay, yeah. Complete. Okay. Maybe so. Anything? Anybody have anything else? I think MacArthur had it complete in every respect, and not not just he added on that in every respect. It's complete. Another definition of plenary is it's. It's unqualified and absolute. So verbal, plenary, inspiration. Unqualified and absolute. MacArthur says, God through his spirit inspired every word penned by the human authors in the original documents. We can talk about that a little bit. And inspiration describes the process of divine causation behind the authorship of scripture. It refers to the direct act of God on the human author that resulted in the creation of perfectly written revelation. So when we say that, we, we do mean that it was perfect in the original documents. Okay, it's, it's an important point to make. Um, we've got a lot of documents. I'm not prepared to go into all that. Some of you may be experts in that, but many thousands of documents that all pieced together, translated for us, and then translation causes some issues there. But in the original documents is the very words of God. Uh, MacArthur again, what is most important here to recognize that the biblical claim of inspiration is one of divine superintendence. God produced the scriptures by influencing the human author's own thoughts. This result resulted in divinely authoritative and inerrant words written in the autographs. So we see that the scriptures carries all the weight of divine spiritual authority. All the weight. The scriptures contain that. Every book, is, this is coming from DeYoung, every book, every word, God wanted it to be there. Uh, it is inerrant. It is infallible. It is totally trustworthy. And all of those characteristics of Scripture are dependent upon the fact that God gave it to us. God's word, and he chose to give it to us this way. I, what a gift. Uh, the other thing is that there's, there's unity found all across the pages, which you would see. It's coming from a, one God. 
yeah, we'll talk a little bit later about uh, Ezra and Nehemiah in that time. We'll, we'll come to that when they, there wasn't a famine of it. It came to them. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I remember a number of years ago, a guest came with us uh, to church and finished the and, and his comment was when we walked out, well, we know what you all are there for. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He picked up on it real quick. You're there to hear the word of God. And I thought, yeah, yeah you pretty well nailed it. That, that's right. Yeah. Other comments? DeYoung says, God's gracious self-disclosure comes to us through the word made flesh and by the inscripturated word of God. So there, you think about it that way, <clears throat> there are really two modes of God dis disclosing himself. And there may be more to this, but there's at least two. The first, Jesus made flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God disclosed himself through his son. Uh, and the second is the written word. So there's two modes of God disclosing himself, and we learn about the life of Jesus through the second one. But Jesus was here and disclosing who God is, who he is and who God is, and so that word became flesh and communicated that way. Uh, MacArthur says along those lines, in Scripture, the person of God and the word of God are everywhere interrelated. Everywhere interrelated. That's true, I think. Uh, what is true of one is also true of the other. True of Jesus is true of the Word of God. Always read the Bible with an eye to Jesus. I think we probably practice that ourselves. It's a good reminder to always be looking uh, to Jesus. <clears throat> uh, they, the young noted that, that uh, a high view of Scripture has been in place from the very early church. So, uh, our, what? We might say the church fathers are great men of the faith. He lists several of them and, and their view of Scripture. Uh, I'll just give you some that he put together related to uh, John Calvin, John Calvin's comments. So this is from Calvin. Calvin claimed that if we follow the Scriptures, we will be safe from the danger of erring. We ought to embrace without finding fault whatever is taught in sacred scripture. We owe to the scripture the same reverence which we owe to God. In scripture, God opens his own most hallowed lips, and the apostles were sure and genuine scribes of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to look at more quotes, if you have the book or I can borrow mine, there's but that's Calvin's view, a very high, high, high view of Scripture. The uh, Young points out that it's just until fairly recently, Christians of every tradition have assumed the complete trustworthiness and comprehensive truthfulness of Scripture. It, in, over the whole view of Christianity, it, is, it was simply part of what it meant to be a Christian, to trust in God's Word. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says true Christians are people who acknowledge and live under the word of God. He boiled it down to pretty simple. That's what true Christians do, live under the word of God. All right. So that has to do with the originality. Any other comments on that? Questions? All right. The practicality of Scripture. Uh, so we've discussed the ability, the originality. Um, let's look at the specifically 16, uh, verse 16, chapter 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So let's first think about teaching. Think of the wide range of things the Bible teaches us about, the wide range of important things that the Bible teaches about. What comes to mind? 
I'll give you a primer. Who are we? Who are who are we? Yeah, we're sinners. Where did we come from? Just out of the slime? No, okay. So it tells us we're, we're created beings, created by God. So, okay, so what's, what's some more things that it tells us? Okay, how to relate to one another, Art says. Does. Others? Ah, purpose. What God is like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It tells us our, our purpose and where we're going. Doesn't it? Uh, you know, where we came from. It tells us about, uh, about life before us. Even before... Adam, it tells us a little bit about life before. It tells us about life after we leave here, doesn't it? Um, probably it tells us most, I think, this would be true, about sin and forgiveness. I think it, it tells us all these things, and I don't know, I, don't, I think most would be accurate, because that's where we're headed. You know, we, it tells us who we are, Mike points out we're sinners. It tells us all about that, and it tells us where we find forgiveness. The scriptures are obviously used mightily to teach us. Now, the next part's not quite so pleasant. The next phrase is for reproof. Any fans of reproof? Yeah, unfortunately, well, maybe not. We, we think of reproof and we think, oh, well, I'm getting disciplined. Somebody else is coming at me and I'm going to get hammered about this. Maybe, I know, you know, it doesn't happen in my house, but your spouse might point out some things that are maybe not quite right. But, you know, of course, that's a different kind of reproof. The Bible does the re- reproofing itself. When we spend time in the Word, uh, the Bible, I know you all feel this, it convicts us. At the same time, the Bible consoles us because we're convicted, we know where to go, and then it consoles us because of the forgiveness. It does all those things. Uh, we've mentioned that it, it uh, comforts us in, in times of pain. Uh, it it uh, often sets us back on the right track. We, we let our minds go and we're off on the wrong trail and the scriptures bring us back and put us on the right path. It's active, it's certain, it's powerful, it's living, it's cleansing, it's nourishing, it's sanctifying. And if you don't think it's the Word of God, just think about that. If those things are true, it has to be the Word of God because it does so many things for us. Uh, it's divine. Any other comments on reproof? And correction, I guess, too. Okay. Training in righteousness. Art, back when you played golf, did it help to practice? Well, let's don't do golf. Let's think of another sport. It doesn't help to practice golf, does it, David? Just the same thing. You go out there and just hit, 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 and then you get on. On the driving range, they all go straight, right? Even I can do that. But boy, you line it up on that first hole and it doesn't go straight. Uh, okay, let's don't talk about golf. Let's talk about a different one. Oh, I wish Owen was in here. There's some training going on with him. Uh, he likes to do cross country, if you don't know that. He would invite any of you to follow along with him on his however many mile runs. Uh, is it fives he runs? How far does he run? What? Seven normal? I'd call that seven abnormal miles, but uh, yeah, he gets a lot of running in. The point is, I don't want to get too off on that, is you think of sports and training is involved. 
People who excel, some are better than others naturally, but the people who excel train. What about music? Same kind of deal, isn't it? There, there are certain people that are just naturally talented and it almost flows out of them, but they train too. And those that aren't so naturally talented, maybe a little bit talented, a lot of training goes on to get it down. Uh, much is the, it's, it's much the same uh, with the, the school of, of holiness and the school of God's Word. It takes effort. And when I say all these things, I'm pointing the finger at myself. Uh, it takes effort. It takes time. Takes thought, thought throughout the day, uh, but hours, day, days, and hours, and even years. But when that happens, the Bible builds us up. Uh, it gives us discernment. It makes us strong. It makes us patient because it's teaching us the truth and it's teaching us the end of things as well. So it's a, it, it's a serious thing to train in God's Word. 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. Oh, to last, we're getting close to the last section here. It'll take us a little bit to get through this, but... Um, MacArthur listed out several things that what describes what it means to be walking in the truth. And uh, he said that Scripture comprised at least ten characteristics of what it means uh, to walk in the truth. So we'll go through those and look at a verse or so uh, related to those. So walking in truth. First of all, receiving the Word. If you... If you want to jot these down, I'm going to be giving you several scriptures here. So it's uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So when Paul preached in Thessalonica, the people not only received his word, but they also accepted it. So receiving, walking in the word of God is receiving it. Another thing, walking in the word, walking in the truth, is that we, we pray to receive it. Uh, Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Uh, this, the psalmist understood that God was the author of Scripture and uh, that it was most appropriate for him to ask the Lord to open his eyes. Open his eyes that he can see. Open my eyes that I may behold. Another characteristic is uh, that we feed on the Word. The Bible figuratively speaks of itself as milk, Bread, meat, and honey, all to nourish the soul. In Job 23, 12, he says, I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. More than my portion of food. So we feast upon God's word. Of course, walking in, in the truth involves obedience. Numbers 14, 22 through 24. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Caleb was special because he proved obedience. 
to God's commands. He did what he was told. <clears throat> so, uh, walk in truth, we obey. Walk in truth, we study. This is Ezra. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra understood that he had to study it. He had to study God's word before he could speak it. Uh, it was imperative that he first obeyed and learned. And then he spoke. MacArthur says it's proved true both for preachers and congregation. Uh, we, we study God's word. And then moving on, honoring God's word. This is the same general story when you work through Ezra and Nehemiah. Honor the word. The Jews had returned to the land after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Gladly honored God and his word. So we see this in, in Nehemiah, but we're still with the same character, Ezra. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So the, the old boy that was studying the word got up before the people who came back from captivity and spoke the word and the power of God came through him, and they bowed and honored the word of God. Walking in truth also includes teaching and preaching uh, the word. Oh, Chance brought up that what, what we do each week, uh, even more often than each week. Um, everywhere Jesus went, he preached the word throughout all, all the places that he traveled. He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's Matthew 4.23. Another thing we do is compel others through the word. We're going to look at what Apollos did in Acts 18.24-28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Paulus uh, did not preach just to dispense information that he, he had. He passionately proclaimed the truth to influence others. We also disciple uh, others with the word. Paul understood the cumulative effect of multiplication, so, so he uh, commended Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. And so we disciple others with the word. And finally, you remember from I, I remember the story of Isaiah Isaiah 66, 2, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You remember in Isaiah 6, Isaiah exemplified that when he, he trembled and took God's word seriously. Okay. We'll wrap up here in a second. Any other any comments about any of these things of walking in in the word? After all we've heard as we have gone through this book together over the uh, last several months, um, we should be ready to continue uh, to continue in truth, uh, continue in reading and hearing and believing uh, God's word. 
I'll close with a couple of quotes he has at the end of the chapter here. <clears throat> I like Kevin DeYoung a lot. Uh, probably, I'm a Reader's Digest fan, as if you haven't figured that out. Um, he's concise, and uh, he—he's—I he, think he's concise and accurate. But anyway, um, close with his words. A couple, couple of different sections here. No words can express what is needful in our dying hour, but there are words to sustain us in that moment and in every moment from this hour until that hour. They are the words of truth, the words of life, the never-failing, never-falling, Christ-exalting, Spirit-inspired, God-breathed words of Holy Scripture. Sticking with the Scriptures may seem like a light thing now, but we will feel the weight of it someday. There will come a time when it will be shown whether our lives were founded upon trivialities or realities. And finally, he says, ultimately we can believe the Bible because we believe in the power and wisdom and goodness and truthfulness of the God whose authority and veracity cannot be separated from the Bible. We trust the Bible because it is, because it is God's Bible. And God being God, we have every reason to take him at his word. Oh, that's it. Any other comments, questions? Absolutely. We can misuse scripture and uh, misinterpret, which points to another super big reason of the church and teaching through the scriptures and studying together. It helps us stay on, helps us stay on track. That's a great point. Anybody else? Bob? I, I, I like that word you used, expect. You know, when we, go, when we go to the scriptures, probably nobody else has this problem, but sometimes I go because that's what I do. I go. It's my duty today to go. I don't think that way, but I find myself, I'm just reading it for duty. Hopefully, not that often, but that happens. We should expect a lot from scripture. God's speaking to us. And so when we sit down to study or read or go with other people to study and learn, we should expect a lot because God's speaking in that. So I, I like that. Anybody else? Okay, just a reminder, next week we do not have Sunday school. So if you come at the time of Sunday school, you get to hear some good singing, learning. Uh, you're not going to practice next week, huh? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, well, anyway, if you, if you come early, you'll get some good music, but you won't have Sunday school. Um, the following week, I think we picked up chapter 9 of Tim Keller's book, Forgive, and uh, I think Michael's planning to lead that, so it's two weeks from today. Anything else? All right, we're dismissed. <laughs>